Hi, this is Mike Delavan and Mike Posey, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, June 4th, and this is your Sunday sermon. We're continuing in our sermon series called Getting There. Once again, the whole idea behind this series is to look at ways that we can make forward progress in our spiritual walk. In other words, to become more mature Christians. So today in part four, we're going to be looking at Psalm 32, and we're going to talk about the fruit of forgiveness. There's a lot to talk about, but as we always do, we always start with a word of prayer. So let's do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we worship and adore you and thank you for the very breath we have today. Lord, teach us from your word and find us doers of that word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. In the award-winning film called The Mission, Robert De Niro plays a mercenary who has taken asylum in the local church after killing his brother in a fit of jealous rage. He eventually leaves the church and heads to a mission post located above the waterfalls in a South American jungle. Because of what he's done and how bad he feels, he ties himself to a very heavy net of items that represents his sinful life. He feels compelled to drag this sack of sin around with him as a way to do penance for what he's done. Have you ever felt like that? You know, I suspect some of you today are bound to some sin. Others of you may be gasping under the guilt of things that you've done several years ago. What do you do when you realize that you've messed up? How do you stabilize your life when you experience more ups and downs than the stock market? Where do you go when you've failed? Where do you turn when you've hurt those closest to you? Do you grab some rope and hitch it to the sin pile and start dragging it around? Or is there a better option? Before we look to Psalm 32 this morning, let me tell you a few things that guilt does for us. First of all, guilt destroys our confidence. Guilt can make us feel insecure because we're always worried that someone is going to find out what we're really like or what we've done. Many years ago, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes novels, played a prank on five of the most prominent men in England. He sent an anonymous note to each one that simply said this, All is found out. Flee at once. Within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. That's exactly the picture described in Proverbs 28.1, which says, The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The question is, is guilt destroying your confidence today? The second aspect of guilt is guilt damages our relationships. When we live with unconfessed sin, we can respond to people in the wrong ways. Are you impatient with others? Do you find yourself reacting in anger? Are you pulling back from those that you love? If so, there may be some guilt in your gut somewhere. And lastly, guilt keeps us stuck in the past. Do you continuously replay your sin over and over and over in your mind? Someone has once said, guilt cannot change the past, just like worry cannot change the future, but it can make you miserable today. Have you ever noticed how your stomach keeps score when you swallow your sins? While many of us wrestle with false guilt, too few of us take our guilt really seriously. 
Instead of confessing our sins, we often bury them or just try to ignore them. The Bible calls us back to truth, the truth that we're sinners and we've missed the mark of God's perfection. In short, we struggle with guilt because we're guilty. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. So let's open up our Bible or Bible app to Psalm 32. But before we jump in or while you're turning to it, listen to a few background truths. First, David is the author of this psalm. While he was a great king and walked with God for much of his life, we also know that David committed adultery and murder. When David speaks, he does so as a sinner who has been forgiven. This particular sin that David refers to is not important here in Psalm 32 because there are plenty to choose from. He wrote this psalm to help us know that we can be fully restored and completely forgiven no matter what we've done. This psalm is also one of the seven psalms of forgiveness, which includes Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Psalm 32 has also been referred to as one of Paul's psalms because it is quoted extensively in Romans 4 verses 6 through 8 to help establish that we are declared righteous not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. And if you are looking at the very beginning of Psalm 32, right before verse 1, you'll see the phrase, a maskil, M-A-S-K-I-L. I mentioned this last week with Psalm 42, as it had the same heading. This was a literary or musical term to indicate that the words to follow are really important. In other words, this is a preaching psalm given to us so that we can learn from the experiences of another. David wants us to pay particular attention today to this inspired instruction so that we'll understand and embrace our need for forgiveness. This is likely one of the psalms that Paul had in mind in Colossians 3.16 when he said, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. With all that in mind, let's see what we can learn about the fruit of forgiveness. And let's follow this simple outline today. Number one, we're going to talk about the happiness of forgiveness. We're going to look at verses one and two. And then in verses three through five, we're going to look at the heaviness of sin. And lastly, in verses six through 11, we'll talk about the help of God. First of all, let's talk about the happiness of forgiveness. Take a look at verses one and two in your Bibles. The very first word of Psalm 32 is blessed. This has a very rich meaning that can't be defined by just one word. We could say, how happy, or congratulations to, or good for the one who, or oh, the bliss of. In addition, this word is in the plural, so we could say, oh, the multiple happinesses, the bundles of blessings to the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. This is the second psalm that begins with the word blessed. The first use is found in Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. We are to be congratulated when we avoid sin and refuse to follow those who are a bad influence in our lives. We are blessed when we do right, and yet when we do sin and mess up and have our sins forgiven, Psalm 32 says we are blessed as well. This is cool. It's much better to avoid sin and experience the blessings that come from making right choices. But when we blow it, we can still be called blessed if we still ask for forgiveness. 
David provides a threefold description of sin in these first two verses. Charles Spurgeon calls this the three-headed dog barking at the gates of hell. Transgression, do you see that word? It depicts a defiant disobedience toward God, a revolt against the Almighty. Sin means to miss the mark of God's perfection, either through acts of commission or omission. The word translated sin in verse 2 is actually the word iniquity, which represents a crookedness, deformity, or perversion. The image of a tree that's gnarled and twisted is appropriate. The point of using these three different words is to remind us that all types of sin and wrongdoing can be forgiven. We defiantly disobey, we miss the mark, and we're inherently crooked. Our little sins are an affront to the Almighty, and those big acts of rebellion offend our holy God. But no matter what we've done, we can be restored. David also uses a triad of words to express the fullness of our forgiveness. The word forgiven means to lift a heavy burden and carry it away. Our transgressions are taken away. Instead of trying to tug them along with us, we allow the Lord to lift them from us. The word covered refers to that which is concealed. What is offensive to God is put out of sight. The idea is that our sins are so covered that they will never appear again. The third phrase, not count against, is rich in meaning. We get the words reckon or impute from this term. This is the same word used in Genesis 15:6, where God reckoned righteousness to Abraham. God does not count our sins against us, and in their place he has imputed the righteousness of another. God erases our sin debt from the books as if it never happened. Romans 4 establishes that Christ's right standing before God is ours, and our sin is his. No wonder David refers to the blessingnesses of forgiven transgressions, the covering of sins, and the erasing of our iniquities. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. And according to Isaiah 43.25, when God forgives, he no longer remembers our sin. I Yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. In the last part of verse 2, David says that God does all this for the one in whose spirit is no deceit. That doesn't mean someone who has no faults, but rather refers to those who readily admit their sins. It's the idea of authenticity. It means that we are not deceitful in acknowledging our sin. Now listen carefully, my friends. The key to the Christian life is not our personal holiness, but our repentance. It's not a matter of trying to be perfect, but recognizing that we're not. We need to fully admit that we are twisted transgressors and selfish sinners. Far too many of us are dishonest about our sins. In his book called Not the Way We're Supposed to Be, Cornelius Plantinga writes, The awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated sin, feared it, fled from it, grieved over it. Some of our grandparents agonized over their sins. A man who lost his temper might wonder whether he could still go to Holy Communion. Where sin is concerned, people must just mumble now. Are you mumbling about your meanderings, my friends? Are you excusing your infractions and being deceived by your disobedience? It's time to get beyond our moral nearsightedness that distorts the true view of ourselves. And if we're not real with God, David describes what's going to happen in verses 3 through 5. 
So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the heaviness of sin. Let's start it with verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Here David is reflecting upon those times when he chose to keep quiet about his sins. When he tried to ignore his iniquities, his bones felt like they were decaying. In Isaiah 59:11, the word groaning was used to describe the roar of a wounded animal or the growl of a bear. Job used this word in Job 3:24 to describe his agony. I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. David tells us that his groaning went on all day long. In other words, it was continuous without intermission. When we don't take responsibility for our sins, our bodies revolt. Instead of happiness, we experience heartache. When we keep our mouth shut, our conscience screams. When we bottle up evil, our bones waste away. Proverbs 28.13a says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. We could put it this way. We are only as sick as our secrets. When you hide your sins, you will be unhealthy. And when you share your secret with God and with someone else, you'll stop feeling sick. The secret you want most to conceal is the one you most need to reveal. Friend, what have you been concealing? What is it that you've been hiding? It's time to come clean. Look at verse 4. It continues, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Even at night, David could not rest from the cries of his conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The word heavy means to grievously afflict. God's hand can bring blessings, but can also bear down on us because he cares so much for us. He loves us just the way we are, but loves us too much to let us stay that way. As Hebrews 12.10 says, God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. David recalls feeling like his strength was sapped, his energy evaporated as in the heat of the summer. Listen to how he described this time of his life in Psalm 38, verses 2 through 8. Your arrows have struck deep, and your blows are crushing me. Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. As one pastor put it, guilt is really a divine implant graciously designed to bring the sinner back to God. This verse reminds us that when we don't fully confess, we will experience emotional and physical distress. Anger and bitterness can come as a result of unconfessed sin and will eat your insides out, beloved. Ulcers, high blood pressure, migraine headaches, and lower back pain can come from concealing our sins. Carl Menninger, a famed psychiatrist, once said that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. David is suggesting here in verse 4 that you could be spiritually dry because of some specific disobedience in your life. After describing his spiritual drought and distress, David then writes the word Selah immediately after the verse. This is a word that beckons us to pause and think about what's just been said. David doesn't want us to miss the point, which is only confession will bring restoration. 
you know, it's not easy for us to admit our sins. It's like the guy who went into the Hallmark store and asked the clerk, do you have a card that stops short of saying, I'm sorry, yet vaguely hints at some wrongdoing? Many of us do this with God when we're not specific about our sins. We might tip our hat to the frailty, but rarely fall down on our knees in real repentance before him. Two elderly Southern women were sitting together in the front pew of a church listening to the fiery preacher. He was banging the pulpit and the ladies were cheering him on. When he condemned the sin of stealing, the two ladies cried out loudly, Amen, brother! When he condemned the sin of lust, they yelled, Preach it, reverend! And when he spoke out against lying, they jumped to their feet and screamed, Right on, brother! Tell it like it is! Amen! But when the preacher condemned the sin of gossip, the two got really quiet. One lady turned to the other and said, Well, he's done quit preaching. Now he's just plain meddling. What sin shuts you up today, my friends? It's easy for us to get upset with those who sin differently than we do, but it's much tougher when the Holy Spirit starts meddling in our lives. Verse 5 gives us the right approach. When David couldn't find relief any other way, he said, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So instead of concealing, David is now confessing. He first acknowledged his sin by stating the obvious. Then he stopped trying to cover it up. And by the way, we can't expect God to cover up what we're not willing to uncover. Finally, he confessed to the Lord. In a sense, he's like the prodigal son who had grown tired of living with the pigs. He owns up to his wrong and doesn't make any excuses. To confess literally means to say the same thing that God says about your sin. Until we can say, God, you're right, it's wrong. We haven't really confessed. If you're not ready to confess, maybe you need a little more distress in your life. David finally surrendered. Are you ready to do the same? Notice that he takes personal responsibility by the use of personal pronouns, my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions. David repeats the three words for sins mentioned in verse 1. He acknowledges his sin, he does not cover up his iniquity, and he confesses his transgressions to the Lord. Note that he doesn't deny, minimize, or blame someone else. He simply calls his sin, sin. It's not an error, a mistake, or a lapse in judgment. He doesn't argue about what the meaning of is, is. The greatest holdout to the healing of my hang-ups is me. We would be much better off if we would stop using other words and phrases to excuse our behavior and begin using biblical terms. Sin loves to hide behind euphemisms. Here are some that come to mind. Instead of saying, I stretch the truth, it's better to just say, I've sinned by lying to you. Instead of saying, I just have a bad temper, it's more accurate to say, I just sinned against you with my words. Please forgive me. Instead of saying, I just want to share a prayer request with you, it may be more truthful to say, I want to pass along some gossip in order to defame someone. And instead of saying, I had an affair, it's more biblical to say, I committed adultery. The smug soul that comes before God and says that sin is no big deal can never know the living God. John Piper puts it this way, until we fear sin and its consequences more keenly, we will not prize our pardon very highly. This may sound blunt to you, but actually it's much better to call sin what it is. Why is that? Because there's a solution for sin. It's called forgiveness. 
Until we acknowledge what we've done is sinful, we will not experience freedom and restoration. Confession is more than merely informing God that we've sinned. It also involves a turning away. It's only when we stop being quiet about our specific sins, when we refuse to hide our transgressions and admit to God what we can barely admit to ourselves, that we will experience the fruit of forgiveness. Instead of just confessing our sins wholesale, it's time to own up to the specifics. Here's a helpful phrase to keep in mind. When you make a mess, confess. When you recognize your sin and reject it, God will remove it. And as the scripture says, and you forgive the guilt of my sin. We don't have to beg God to forgive us because he wants to forgive more than we want to be forgiven. We don't have to bargain with him and we don't have to bribe him by promising to do a bunch of good things. And we don't have to do a penance for bad things that we've done. Another pause is needed here, Selah, so that we don't rush past the beauty of having all of our sins forgiven. Take some time right now to specifically confess any sins that you've been concealing. If you need to pause the podcast or the video, then do so and come right back. Lastly, after talking about the happiness of forgiveness and the heaviness of sin, David now draws our attention to the help of God. Let's look at verses 6 through 11. In verses 6 through 11, we can see God's help in three ways. First of all, his protection. Look at verse 6. David urges those who are godly to pray. That doesn't mean those who are perfect, but those who are inclined to be godly. It's not someone who is holy, but refers to the person who belongs to a holy God. There's a sense of urgency attached to his call to prayer. Pray now while you can, it says. When you seek him, he will protect us from the deluge of the mighty waters. Look at verse 7. It says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. It's interesting that in the beginning of this psalm, David is hiding his sins from God. Now he is hiding himself in God. Whenever we confess our sins and find forgiveness, we're going to want to seek shelter under his wings. The second way we can see God's help is his instruction. Look at verse 8. It tells us that God promises to instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. The blessing of protection is wonderful, but it would be incomplete if it were not accompanied by his direction. What good would it be if he guarded us from destruction, but didn't tell us which way to go? Verse 9 warns us about not being stubborn and stupid when it comes to following God. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will not come to you, it says. By nature, most of us are wild and unwilling to obey. When David acted like a mule, God put the bridle of suffering on him and pulled him to repentance. Is God humbling you right now, my friend? Is he trying to break you with a bit and bridle? He only does this so we will see our need and come back to him. And lastly, the third way we can see God's help is in his joy. When we stay close to the Lord by cultivating a spirit of surrender and submission, and when we practice regular confession, we can't help but break out into joy. Verse 11 says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The word rejoice means to spin around with glee. And the phrase be glad literally means to brighten up. When we have our sins forgiven, we cannot help but break out into spontaneous expressions of joy. David put it this way in Psalm 92 verse 4, 
You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. Friends, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who have their sins covered can leap for joy. Conversely, if you don't have much joy in your life today, it may be because you've been carrying around a burden of guilt. Sin may be sucking the life out of you. It may be strangling your joy. If you truly want to be happy and stop living with so much distress, then learn to confess. Perhaps you've come today and you've been dragging around a net of sin for a long time. I've done the same thing. In fact, some of you come into church today carrying a boatload of bitterness. Maybe you have a trunk full of trespasses. The only way to be rid of your regrets is to have your sins covered and confess them to God. When you do, he will forgive you. And when he does, your sins are forgotten and you're free. Some of you have asked for forgiveness, but you're still pulling a suitcase of sin or a net of sin with you. Beloved, if you've confessed and repented of your sins, God has forgiven you. God not only covers our sins, he makes us into new people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who belongs to Jesus has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Are you ready right now to let go of your sin and be forgiven by Jesus? Are you ready to have your life changed forever? Then come to Jesus right now. Believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin, in other words. Confess Jesus as Lord. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38 says. Selah, beloved. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.